What if you could hang out with seriously talented copywriters and other experts, ask them about their successes and failures, their work processes, and their habits, then steal an idea or two to inspire your own work? That's what Kira and I do every week at the Copywriter Club podcast. You're invited to join the club for episode 105 as we chat for a second time with freelance copywriter Sarah Greer about what it takes to grow a copywriting business past six figures, her recipe for launch success, why she books two projects at a time and spreads payments over six months, and how to add consulting to the services you offer your clients. Sarah. Hey, thanks for having me. It's so fun. I can't believe you guys have done 106 interviews and you're still standing. <laughs> Barely. We're actually, I think we're both sitting right now, but yeah. <laughs> actually, yeah, sitting all day long, which we need to work on. So why don't you just give us a quick update? You know, what have you been working on or what's happened since last time you were on our show? Oh my goodness. And that was episode 32 for anybody who wants to check yes, that out. Check it and out. it was a really good one. So yeah, check that out. I know. I kind of became the take four months off in your business woman since then. <laughs> but yeah, I've done that. I took four months off last year intermittently. If you listen to the old episode, you can hear how. So I'll leave that as a tease. Nice. <laughs> since then, in 2017, I worked on 52 projects for 19 clients and still managed to take all that time off. <laughs> Wow. I know. It's crazy. That is crazy. When you have systems in place, it makes a huge difference. But also I had this like astronomical launch that kind of stood out from all the other ones. We did seven figures in a single launch. And wow. that was, I know, <laughs> and it was the first time we had worked together. So basically that kind of changed the way that I was showing up with my clients because I realized when my clients grow to that level or grow that quickly, they don't always need a copywriter at that point because they usually hire an in-house production team. And so I started doing small percentage of consultant work alongside the copywriting work to really serve the people who needed more than just a copywriter. So that's kind of what's happened in the last year. It's been fun and insane. And then I also, just to add to the mix, I also did close to 10 podcast interviews and did at least three live events that I can remember where I was speaking on stage. So it's been a fun year. So yeah, you'd listen to that. I'm thinking, how in the world did you take four months off? Like, that's crazy. Yeah. I mean, I have my formula for it and it just works when you have systems and a good team in place. So that's really the short and long of it. Very cool. So can we talk about launching and what you've been doing to have so many successful launches? I'm blown away, you know, a million dollar launch the first time that you're working with a client. That's amazing. What are you doing to make your launches so valuable for your clients? Well, I mean, I definitely helped them with all the components the first round. So from the top of the funnel all the way to the bottom, I was responsible for every asset from video scripts to Facebook ads to emails to sales page. And I have, I guess, the part that's hard to teach to other people is a gift for finding the right resource at the right time or the right framework at the right time based on who the client is. 
So I was able to put resources in front of them of other launches that basically the client, you know, we had an advantage that the client was a celebrity in their world. And so I looked at other celebrities out there who were having a lot of success with online programs. And I used that as the framework. So that's kind of the secret sauce to why the launch was so successful. But the skill in it is learning how to reverse engineer what someone else did and make it work for a new client. And that part is a little harder to teach because it's like you can't copy and swipe exactly what someone else does because you're not going to get the same results because the assets are different in each company. So my ability to look at the assets of this particular company and say, okay, how are we going to make this work for you? Because they sell in a totally different way than most other people sell. So that was the nuance that made the difference. Can you talk about how you approach this type of astronomical launch or any launch project in relationship to the client so that you show up as a consultant from day one, you know, with the first kickoff call, like, and you're asking the right questions. So you're talking about top of the funnel to bottom of the funnel and not just Like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to write the sales page and hand it to you and that's it and disappear. Yeah. So the thing that I do from the very beginning, when we have that initial consultation call, I give them 30 minutes to talk with me. And I always find that no matter what level a company is at, I'd say 95% of the time they have a marketing plan in their head and no one's put it on paper. So the very first thing I do after I get off the call with them is I kind of get as much information as I can about where they are in their launch plan, and then I actually map it out for them. So I use a tool called MindMap that works inside Google Drive. So inside Google Drive, I create this launch map, and it basically shows them what they said to me. And when they see it on paper, they're like, oh my gosh, no one else has done this for me. Now they can take what I've created for them And their Facebook ads manager already knows what to do. Their designer already knows what's coming in the pipeline in terms of copy production. Anybody on the team, their project manager can work more easily and breathe more easily because they know what components are going to happen. And my launch maps are different for every client. They're custom for every client. And as soon as I finish that call, I send it to them as a gift. And I'm like, hey, here's a surprise launch map. (laughs) And they immediately hire me after that. But the reason I started doing the launch map is because I realized that if they don't have it mapped out and have a plan, their results will suffer from the launch. So I did that for the client. We ended up doing 1.25 million with a single webinar style launch. It made all the difference for them because then their team knew what to do with it. That's amazing. So we just recently did a training with Abby Woodcock in the Facebook group about launches. And she shared like this really elaborate spreadsheet, you know, of all of the things that, you know, she spells out that have to be accomplished throughout a launch. How does that kind of a thing compare to the launch map that you're creating? Does it spell out like all of the little pieces and what goes out where? Is it basically just a different format on that? Or is it something different from a process standpoint? So I actually watched that training because I was really interested to see how Abby does it. So I would call what she created, and I hope this, I think to me it looked like a glorified editorial calendar. So it, it showed you all the pieces. I started out creating that for my client as well, thinking that it would be helpful, but it didn't really work for me and our production process. 
And I found that the launch map worked better for me. So in terms of the way that she's organizing these large scale launches, you need something. So I think what she's doing is just as valid as creating a launch map. But the point is, if you don't lay out all the components, then people get lost and you lose time and the launch won't be as effective. So as long as you're doing something, then you're golden. And her strength is probably in spreadsheets or I, I don't know who was sitting with her in the interview. That was Casey. <laughs> so yeah. oh, that's Casey. Are they re- like related? Are they husband, wife? Husband, or? husband and wife. Yep. They're, they're part. Oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't want to yeah. assume. Okay. So I feel like maybe he's helped her with her systems. And so creating a spreadsheet was really smart. As long as there's something that you're doing to organize all the components and taking the lead on it, that's the difference in, I think, being a copywriter versus doing something more. And to me, I see it as like a glorified project manager is what you're doing. So can you talk to us more about this launch map that you create through MindMap? Because it's something still new to me. I can't say I feel that comfortable creating that type of launch map. And I'm sure newer copywriters don't feel as comfortable. Like what is a great way we can approach it for the first time and feel comfortable presenting it to a client? Because it feels like you really need to feel confident if you're sending this over to a client and saying, here, this is what you should be doing. Yeah, I mean, so during that first 30 minute call, I'm finding out all the components that they're going to need from every asset. And so basically, it's taking that list of assets and putting it in a flowchart so that at the front of the flowchart is usually some kind of seeding email letting their current list know that there's some kind of free training coming. So the first bubble would be dedicated to on the flow, like on the actual launch map would be dedicated to like three seating emails saying something's coming. And then the next bubble might be like the landing page to the webinar. Let's just say if it was a single webinar launch or something. And I guess my recommendation if you're trying this for the first time is to do this for a very simple launch, not one that is like a 10 day challenge that leads to a webinar that leads to the sales page. Like that's just going to complicate things for you. But like some of the the nuanced things that if you're a little more advanced is you can add retargeting ads that lead to the webinar bubble so that they know there's got to be three retargeting ads to remind people to show up for the webinar or whatever the different strategies are. But I only recommend this to people if they're comfortable with understanding strategy for each asset and the point of creating everything. Because if you're not comfortable with that, I think you'll probably tank, to be honest. So in addition to the mind map, then what are the other processes that you have in place to make sure that every launch that you're working on is going to, if, if not be a million dollar success, <laughs> at least it's going to come off the way that it needs to so that your client's happy? I think the other thing I do during the launch that's really important is I'm very much in control of the timeline. So I break down the project into stages. There's usually around five stages in a project. And so once we have the launch map, it feels a little counterintuitive, but I make my clients start with the sales page, even though that's the last thing that's going to be seen in the launch. The reason I start there is once you're clear on the offer, you can write anything else inside of a launch and it will come across the way that the client wants it to. So I start with the sales page and I give them three meetings, two revisions to complete that with me. 
And I keep the timeline pretty hard and fast. And I propose all the dates to them before we get started. I do a set of three meetings to complete each stage. And I propose the dates the entire way through. I'm flexible if they need to change the dates. But once we agree to them, I really ask that they keep to the schedule. So that makes a big difference in terms of a successful launch because you get the best creative when there's a flow to it and everybody knows the timeline. And I also do live edits in Google Docs, which I think makes a big difference. Can you share a little bit more about these five phases, what you're doing in each phase? Yeah, so I kick it off with the sales page and then I do the webinar if there's a webinar registration page and or challenge registration page next because the designer needs to get started on that. And then I'll do the invitation emails to the free training. So stage one will just be the sales page. Stage two will be getting the webinar page completed. And then stage three will be the Facebook ads leading to the webinar. Also the emails leading to the webinar. And then stage four, I feel like by then we're ready to start on the sales page invitation emails. And stage five is usually a launch debrief. And this is an example of like a simplified launch. You might have to add more stages based on how many components they have. But stage five is the launch debrief. And this is really important. I don't know if a lot of other copywriters are doing this or not, but I do ask my client to come to me with their final numbers and we review it, you know, against industry standards to see how it performed. And we talk about ways to improve for the next launch because I want them to hire me again. So the launch debrief opens that conversation once they're outside of the pressure of finishing their launch. Okay, this is so great. I'm taking so many notes. So can you talk more about the launch debrief call? Because I know for me personally, I could definitely improve it. Is this 30 days after launch? Like what does timing look like? How do you position it so that they feel comfortable showing up with their numbers? What are some questions you're asking them during that session so that you can really sell them on the next project? So inside my Google Drive, I have a set of templates for pretty much every stage of the project, including the launch debrief. And so I send them a document to fill out. So it's kind of like a debrief intake form, I guess, if you will. I don't know if it's the best way to say it, but I mean, I'm asking them for the numbers and they're just happy that I gave them a framework to fill out already. (laughs) So that kind of takes the awkwardness out of that. And then we try to do it 30 days after, but sometimes, you know, life happens or whatever. So I'm pretty flexible on doing the launch debrief. How are you selling the next project? Do you have some go-to questions you ask? How do you kind of lead in and get that next project? Yeah, so I'm looking at their strategy, like, okay, this is what worked for your current launch. And sometimes, and this is the part we can get into in a little bit, sometimes they've hired me for two campaigns already. But if they haven't, the thing that we do is look at the numbers. And part of what we're talking about is what worked, what didn't, and what could be done better next time. And so that opens up the conversation like, okay, next time, where are you going to need support? What's your priorities between now and your next big launch? Do you need a tripwire? Like, are you going to downsell something? Whatever it might be, talking about what will work next time kind of opens up that conversation for me to say, okay, this is what I think your strategic priorities are between now and the next launch. And here's where I could support you. And I just give them all the components and a stage and a launch map again. So 
Sounds really well thought out. I heard a rumor that you may actually be selling two of these at a time or that you ask your clients to commit to more than one launch when they buy a package from you. Is that true? And how do you structure that so that you're getting paid when you want to be paid and that you're delivering the copy when they need the copy to be delivered? I love it. Yeah, I think Kira tipped you yeah, off that, that, she's, she's usually where I hear most of my rumors. So. <laughs> I'm the reason. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, so... So basically, I was in an accountability, like peer mastermind with two women. And I was complaining about how people just hire me for one campaign. And it's not enough. Like once I know their voice, they should hire me for two campaigns. And one of the women on the call was like, done, sold. I want to hire you for two campaigns. What? (laughs) So that's how it started. That's awesome. So what I learned is like, yeah, once you're in there, you really know, you know, the back end of somebody's voice and all of that. It really makes sense for them to hire you twice. But the reason this was a good product for her is that she hadn't quite hit that six figure mark with her launch yet. So it made sense for her to pay me over six months instead of most clients. I'll ask for like a pretty big launch, I'll ask for full payment up front or give them an option to put a deposit and then pay the rest on a second payment. And the deposit might be like 25% or something. And I feel like I should up it to 50% after listening to Abby. But (laughs) (laughs) the point is for her, it made a lot of sense to spread out her payments over six months so that we could have, and we did have a six figure launch. And then she could continue to pay me in smaller increments. And I liked it because we did the launch in January and then we did another one in June. And it was really fun for me to receive payments while I wasn't working. Yeah, I'll bet. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So the execution was like, you know, maybe four to six weeks on each launch. And then in between that, I just kept getting money. I was like, this feels good. (laughs) So it's a total of six monthly payments? Yeah, that's how we worked it out for hers. Okay. I want to start doing that. How do you find these clients? Because I know that's probably what a lot of copywriters listening are asking when they're like, cool, I want to do all this. I want to have, you know, these six figure clients who have the potential to even reach that or seven figures. How do I get in front of them? What has worked well for you even more recently so that you can continue to kind of go after the right clients? Yeah. So what's been the biggest client attraction for me last year was speaking on stages. The other speakers most of the time would be hiring me after they heard me talk. So that was really powerful. And then referrals was a close second to where my clients were coming from. But even I wouldn't overlook like being in accountability masterminds with people who are up and coming in their business. I didn't have the intention of turning them into my customers, but that's how it shook out. So it's something to consider for your own business. And Also, in the very beginning, majority of my referrals came from other copywriters overflow. So I love that you guys have things like the Copywriter Think Tank because I'm positive people are passing referrals to each other there and stuff like that is invaluable. Yeah, that that definitely happens. It's one of the best reasons to create a network of copywriters to hang out with or talk with, you know, because copywriters do have extra work sometimes or they have leads coming that they can't get to and they'd rather pass them on to somebody that they do know and trust than 
let their clients flounder. So Sarah, so the last time we talked, we talked a little bit about how you got yourself booked as a speaker for Rick Mulready, but I want to go deeper on this because it's such a rich lead source for you. How do you continue to get yourself on stage or in the front of the room so that you can, you know, show up as the expert and have people approaching you as their preferred writer? How do you keep doing that? This is the like least strategic strategy in my business. So a lot of the times it'll be private clients who have been with me a lot of years, but I actually heard Tarzan speak about this in the group. It was probably a while ago and I didn't even realize I was doing it. And I was like, oh yeah, that's why. So when my private clients show up, I'm always on camera. We're always doing live edits. I typically have lipstick on. I've got fresh flowers in the background. So what I realized is they're noticing that I have a presence and I'm willing to be seen. And so that's when they realize, oh, she would be a great speaker for my event. And I also feel like I'm kind of rigging the system because copywriting is like an essential piece to almost any online, I would say any online business. So that set the stage for it. And then something I started doing last year, again, not strategically, was just celebrating the crap out of the fact that I was going to be on a stage. Mm, yeah. <laughs> like you can't ignore it. Like at some point last year, if you're friends with me on Facebook, you saw it. <laughs> right. That's such a good point though. I feel like it's so important to talk about these wins and what you're doing as a marketing tool to really put out there like, Hey, I did this and I can do this for you. I feel like I'm typically really poor at doing that, but it's a great way to say like, I did it and I can do it at your next workshop or retreat. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't even say like, I can do this for you. I just celebrate it without any attachment to it. And honestly, almost every time I celebrate speaking now, I get another invitation to speak. Wow. That's incredible. Super smart. Yeah. And my thing is though, like, okay, let's say I had this seven figure launch and then I never talked about it again. Did it really happen? Pretty much no. (laughs) 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 Because if I never celebrate my results, like nobody's going to know. These teams I work on are very behind closed doors. Like if I don't share it with people, people are not going to know. So you have to be willing to share your awesomeness. And when you get on stage, what are you talking about? Because I'm guessing that, you know, you've got to be super smart up there and sharing things that are, you know, connecting with people. So yeah, what is your presentation? What are you usually talking about? So I typically talk about three pillars to copy that converts. It's not anything super fancy. And the reason I do that is because the audience typically doesn't have a good primer on how to write copy for themselves. The tag or like, I don't know, I guess the tagline that I use is how to go from storytelling to story selling. I feel a lot of people struggle with what story to tell to sell more of their service or product. And so that's kind of the entry point. And then, you know, I teach them, oh, one thing that I teach that I think one other copywriter teaches this, but before I discovered her, I thought no one else was teaching it was using different color personalities to attract more sales. So it's a psychological thing. And I learned it in team building and then I applied it to copy. So I thought nobody else knew it. And I'm not even sure the other person who teaches it, her name's Val Geisler. I think you had her on the show. I'm not even sure if we're teaching the same thing. I haven't dug into what she's teaching, but I think it's a similar idea. Okay. Well, you need to teach that next time you come on the podcast. (laughs) 
Yeah. I think that that's a really cool thing though, because you're basically saying, look, you don't have to have something terribly original or something new because the audience that you're in doesn't know copywriting. And I think a lot of copywriters don't present because they feel like, well, everybody knows this stuff or, you know, I, I don't have something that's, you know, totally unique to share. And so I, I like your approach. It's just get up there and share what you know, and you're going to be the expert. Yeah, you really are. Especially, I mean, I kind of fell into being on stage with some very respected people in my industry. And so I was automatically an expert before I even started teaching. And then, I mean, the person who I did the seven figure launch with was in the audience when I taught at Rick's event. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. And it was kind of crazy because he did not approach me at the event at all. But as soon as I got home, he emailed me and I didn't even give my email out. So he like found me online and emailed me. That was that. But apparently one of the things I taught and I can share it with you guys, he changed one of his Facebook ads while I was speaking on stage. And that's still his highest earning ad. He's made $2 million on one ad over the last two years. Wow. What? Oh my goodness. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I want to still dig into celebra- the celebrating your win concept. Clearly this is like new to me, but I see people do it well. I see people do it really poorly too. Like we all do, right? And we're like, that gag me. That's disgusting. <laughs> you always do it really well. And because you said you're not attached to it, it's like, it's so positive. And I feel like it draws people in rather than repels people. So you probably just do it naturally because it's who you are. But do you have any advice for copywriters who are really poor at celebrating their wins and like could have <laughs> the seven figure launch and just like move on to the next thing and never talk about it again? Yeah, I mean, there was levels to my ability to get out and celebrate. I think there was my old self who would not have wanted to celebrate saying that I had made seven figures for a client or that I typically have a client get their first six figure launch with me or anything like that. I had to become more open. So the first thing I did was I practiced celebrating just with close friends, either in private groups where there was maybe five of us. And I felt comfortable sharing with them what just happened. And I think that's still relevant. And I still do it because I can actually name drop with them. And like, (laughs) they're totally open to whatever I want to celebrate. And then I also practice celebrating gratitude with friends on Boxer, which is an amazing app if you haven't played with it, where you can leave voice memos for friends. So I did a lot of like behind closed doors celebrating. And then I slowly became more bold about celebrating out in the open on my Facebook page. And I think for me, like the more I celebrate, I feel like other people have permission to celebrate too. And so that's what keeps me going at this point. (laughs) Can you also talk about, you mentioned you've been on 10 podcasts. I think you said 10. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So a lot of copywriters in some of our groups are pitching podcasts and just kind of unsure where to start in that process. Clearly, like you've done something right. So do you have any advice to copywriters who want to gain authority through podcast interviews? Yeah, I mean, I've never pitched anybody. Let's just start there, which is crazy. But I think, again, like the first one happened and it's the same as the speaking. I celebrated it and I let people know and then they saw it on Facebook and then they invited me by private messaging me. So it's sort of the same answer to speaking is, you know, pitching is good. I'm not going to say don't go 
pitch at all. It's good practice for you. But in the end, I think just once you get that first opportunity, never shut up about it after that. (laughs) So we talked about taking more control over your life and having more freedom. That was a big part of the the last conversation, but this is an ongoing struggle. So I want to just hear a little bit more about how you think copywriters can take more control over their freedom. One of the ideas you mentioned is bundling these two projects together and distributing the payments over six months. So it takes off some pressure and brings in some reoccurring revenue. What other strategies have you tried or tactics have you tried to create more freedom? Yeah, so I leverage a team and I can tell you, well, first of all, let me start with my team is seasonal. So I've created a structure where I have a bigger team when I have more projects and everybody gets a percentage of the project. So you could call it a profit share. And that's part of the reason why it's important that my clients pay me the majority of the money up front because I need to pay my team up front or I like to anyways. And I'll tell you who's on my team when I have a lot of projects going at once. I have a VA for sure, and they handle the client onboarding and even handle communication with potential leads as well. And then I have a personal assistant who's here with me at the house. And I'm a little bit spoiled. I had a family member live with me for eight months and they were cooking and cleaning for me. So now my personal assistant Now that the family member left, I also asked them to cook and clean for me. (laughs) No shame whatsoever. I have a junior copywriter and I have a project manager. So that's kind of the larger version of my team. And then the only thing I haven't outsourced that I want to start experimenting with is outsourcing the sales call. So that's the last piece that I want to add. But that's kind of how I leverage a team and I, I work a lot less is having these other people support me. And I do have to give a shout out to the Copywriter Club because I found a couple junior copywriters inside the Facebook group. So it's been amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. So one thing I want to ask you about, Sarah, is consulting because you don't just do copywriting, you do consulting and you're obviously you're building out launch strategies and doing a lot more. If a copywriter wanted to add more consulting services into their business, what are the steps that they should think about or go through to make that happen? Yeah. So I think we kind of started to open up this conversation earlier that basically, if you're going to go from copywriter to consultant, at least for a percentage of your business, then you really need to identify your strengths and your weaknesses. So I kind of want to give an example of like me versus Val Geisler versus Abby Woodcock. So Abby's strengths are creating these amazing systems for the deliverables. Um, and that's a form of project management. Val Geisler's strength, I listened to her interview on your podcast, and it sounded like her strength was uploading the copy to the email platform, among other things. And that's her project management strength. So I encourage people to look at their own strengths and figure out where they could be a better project manager and position that as consulting for the client. For me, it's the launch mapping and the staged waterfall system for deliverables that people love so much. So I don't want to say you can just insert this one style of project management and it's going to work for every person. You kind of have to look at your strengths and do what's a natural fit for you. But that's the best way to approach it, I think. 
All right. Let's talk about your personal assistant because I want a personal assistant. Don't we all like want a personal assistant? So like, what are they doing for you? What does that look like? How has it helped you? Oh, it's been amazing. So her hours when she started out working with me, I think she was working close to 40 hours and that's when I needed the most help. So it was just incredible to have her, like I give her a list. I actually text her a list. She's a millennial. She loves text. So (laughs) I text her a list in the morning of all the things that I need done around the house. And then she just makes it happen while I'm on my calls. And it's been super helpful And I've given her like recipes of things that I want to try and she cooks as well and is really good at it. And then I've had her do some social media posting to Facebook and Instagram for me. And to be honest, I'm not active on Instagram, but I wanted to have like at least a few posts up there. So I gave her content to repurpose and I gave her the images and she went ahead and uploaded it. And then she also just does little tasks like helps me move recordings when I have a client call and I need to keep them organized in a folder. She does little tasks like that. And then also if I have files that need to be moved out of my email, so I have like subfolder for all my bills and the invoices I need to keep, she does little tasks like that. Awesome. So I want to ask about your experiments with video and what I think you're calling Sarah GTV. What have you been doing with that? And you know, how's it been impacting your business? That has been so much fun for me. So I realized that there is this gap of people who are on these high-end launch strategy teams and they're creating these amazing things, but you never hear from the people on the team. You just hear from the person who's the face of the business. So I started Sarah GTV to start interviewing people who I've been partnering with on teams. And it's been amazing to have them be in the foreground of, you know, like what strategies are working right now this year. And, you know, what's the difference? I ask a lot of questions about like, what's the difference between people who are having a lot of success with their launches and people who are not having as much success. I've gotten some incredible answers. And so I feel like it keeps me sharp in the same way that you guys use your podcast to stay sharp. I feel like Sarah GTV keeps me sharp in launches and I do go on and teach on my own as well sometimes. So that's kind of the premise behind the show. And honestly, doing these interviews of other people on strategy teams, it's a great way to stay in front of my referral pool. I don't ask them directly for referrals. It just keeps me top of mind with them. Okay. I want to know about moving from copywriter to creative director, because that's originally when we talked about getting you back on the show, it was like, this is the change that you've made, but there's a lot of mindset shifts that you need to make in order to move from copywriter to creative director and more of like a copy chief too. So do you have any advice, anything that's worked well for you as you have transformed over the last however many months or years that could help copywriters with the mindset stuff? Yeah. So for me, going from copywriter to creative director, which I use interchangeably with consultant, so it's pretty much the same thing. What I realized is that I can tell people like I did on this interview about the execution of it, but actually going out and trying it is the thing that stops most people. So I feel like if you want to start doing this, start with a client you're really comfortable with already and just be really honest with them. Like this is something I'm trying. 
And can I test it out with you? So I feel like that might take the pressure off of you. (laughs) But yeah, I feel like jumping into the consultant or creative direction world. The other thing to do is to stay really up to date on the latest launch strategies and really understand like what's working for companies, but more importantly, why it's working for one company and not necessarily for another. Because once you start to understand that, that makes all the difference in the results that you're going to get for your client. Sarah, I know we're running out of time and we've got so many more questions. You know, we might have to have you back for a third episode at some point, but like so much good stuff here. So many more things that we could talk about, but if people want to connect with you online, where can they find you? Yeah, I feel like I want to keep going and going too. And if people want to keep the conversation going, I, and they're really thinking about going from copywriter to consultant, then I actually recommend they go to sarahgreer.com slash copy and I will put up a way for us to stay connected and talk about how they can do that in their own business. Sounds great. And thank you for opening up and sharing really like insider business information about your processes that we can all benefit from. It's been really helpful. So thank you, Sarah. Yeah, thanks, Sarah. Yeah, thank you. This was great. You've been listening to the Copywriter Club podcast with Kira Hug and Rob Marsh. Music for the show is a clip from Gravity by Whitest Boy Alive, available in iTunes. If you like what you've heard, you can help us spread the word by subscribing in iTunes and by leaving a review. For show notes, a full transcript, and links to our free Facebook community, visit thecopywriterclub.com. We'll see you next episode.